Alrighty, take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to Psalm 127. Psalm 127, I would say that this is probably a little bit different type of message than what I typically would preach on Sunday morning. But one of the institutions that was fought for for many years that we're now seeing, honestly, crumbling beneath our feet is the family. The reason that we had a strong country is because we had strong churches. The reason we had strong churches is because we had strong families. And I believe that we can see that again. I, I, I believe that we still have a revival left in this country. And honestly, you know, people look around and they say, oh, this, this country is so far gone. We'll never see, you know, we'll never see it come back to where it was. We'll never see God do what he did before. And honestly, I think, I think we, are, we are set up for a revival better now than we ever have been. Because honestly, we, we see revival when things look the worst because that's when God gets the most glory for what happens. And I, 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 I know that this country has been worse off before, maybe in different ways, but worse off before than it is now that God sent a revival and we saw a revival in, in, in individuals' lives, we saw a revival in families, we saw a revival in churches, and we saw a revival in the country. And I, I believe that we can see that again. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I don't believe that we can see that. But I think that all of that starts with the family. And obviously, the family has to start, you know, individuals make up families. But this passage here in Psalm 20, 127 really gives us great insight into our responsibility as parents. But it says this in, in verse number one of Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. We have to train our children for the Lord. Uh, there are arrows that are being carved and polished, and one day they're going to be sent out, and once they leave that bow, they can't be brought back. Once they leave that bow, it, it's going to go in the direction that you sent it. It's going to go, and in the, in the, the arrow is going to fly in the way that you shaped and polished that arrow. Uh, we have a lot of young families here in our church, and for that I'm very thankful. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to touch on a lot of topics this morning. Hopefully that will be a help to you. Um, it'll be a help to you if you have an open heart and an open mind to what the Word of God has for us. But this, this, this is not just a, a general message on the family. It is a message on the family, but just not a general message that, oh, this is, you know, this is what the family should be or whatever else. This, this is born out of, out of months and honestly even years of, of observing and taking notes and, and just thinking about some things that we can improve on in our, in our families in our own church. And, and this is going to be a very, very practical message this morning. Certainly, we're going, to, we're going to look at the Word of God. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about some different Bible verses and things. But I don't want you to sit here and think, this is exactly what parents need. This is exactly what the kids need in our church. I want you to think this. I want you to think, this message is for me, and this message is for my family. What can I get out of it? How can I use this to help my family be what God wants my family to be? And I hesitate to preach a message like this because I still have young kids. And there's probably some people that are sitting out there who would say, well, his kids do this or his kids do that. They need to change this area. They need to change that area. And I, and I agree with you. I understand that the jury is still out on my family. And I can assure you that there are very few things that, 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 I, that we work harder on than our family. 
My family is my first ministry. And if I ever got to the point where I saw that my family was moving away from the Lord or moving in a direction that they should not be going, I would resign this church in a heartbeat to take care of my family. Because as much as God's called me into this ministry, my number one priority and my number one ministry is to my family. And the same is for you. And I'm not saying you need to resign the church or you need to quit your job or something like that, but I'm saying your number one responsibility is to raise and train your children for the Lord. But that doesn't take away from my responsibility as your pastor to give you what you need for your kids, for our kids. And I'm not, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to us today. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not by any stretch against home. We have a lot of homeschooling families in our, in our church, and I think it's very necessary for, for families to homeschool. I'm certainly not in any way against that, but you need someone else's opinion. And sometimes that's one of the things that you miss when you, don't have, uh, when you don't have a Christian school to be able to send your kids to and everything else. But that's why it's so important then that you have them in church uh, and have them in church every chance you get, every opportunity you get. Um, somebody else seeing your kids makes a huge difference in the way that, that, that you're able to respond to their, their issues. Because honestly, a lot of the issues that you have with your children are issues that you have with yourself, and so you don't even see them as issues. Uh, and you need, you need that outside look. You need that outside, that outside influence, that outside uh, opinion, if you will. And, and you know me well enough to know that, that um, I don't often approach you point blank about issues. Uh, and maybe that's a fault of mine as your pastor. I don't know. Maybe I should do better at that or not. But... Um, I, don't, I don't see something one week and then go preach on it the next week. Uh, I think it would be a very foolish thing to do. I see things, I, I notice things, I pay attention to things, and then I, 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 I write them down often. But then I, I, I look through the Word of God, I, I wait for God's timing, I wait for God to lead me in the message, and, and, and wait for God to lead me in, the, uh, in what should be said about it. Because the last thing that I want to do is get up and preach a message in anger because of something that happened in the church last week. And everybody knows exactly what or who I'm talking about. But the downside of that sometimes is we get so far away from some of those things that you think, well, he's talking to somebody else. Uh, or he's preaching to somebody else. Or he's preaching about somebody else's sin or whatever else. But uh, I, I, I never preach a message for one person. Never preach a message for one family, because as soon as I, as soon as I prepare a message for that one person, they're not going to be there on that Sunday, and then the whole message is, you know, is for nobody. Uh, I believe that every time that I preach a message, I, 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 I try to seek the Lord on what he would have me to preach, and so often we see how themes go together when somebody else is preaching or, or the songs go together, and my wife honestly picks the songs for the service, and she knows kind of generally what I, what I have in mind, but... Uh, she never knows what I'm going to preach on, and, and it's amazing to see how the songs just, just go hand in hand with the message that God's laid on my heart. And so I, I say all that to say that, that you need somebody else looking at your family from the outside to help you with things that you can change and should change in your family to help your family be what it needs to be, not for the glory of the church, not for the glory of the pastor, but for the glory of God. If you're doing what you're doing in your family because you're trying to impress me, then you're doing it for all the wrong reasons and your family is going to fail. If you're doing it because you're trying to impress other families in the church or you want everybody else to think, boy, they have great kids, then you're doing it for the wrong reason and your family is going to fail. You ought to be doing what you're doing in your family for the glory of God. You ought to be doing what you're doing in your family because you want your kids to grow up and live for God and serve God. 
and do it for his glory. I hope you'll listen today, but if you want an outside viewpoint on your children, come ask me. I'll, 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 I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, I've got all this list of all these things that are wrong with your kids. I'm not saying that at all, but uh, about any issue. Hey, pastor, what, what can I improve in my family? What can I improve in my life? What can I do? What can I change? And that's what I'm saying. I, 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 maybe, maybe I should be better at this. I'm not, I don't often come to you with problems and with issues. Uh, but I, I will certainly try to help you in any way that I can. But that's the reason for the message this morning. And I'll tell you honestly, one of the biggest problems of parenting is pride on the part of the parents. We, we don't often like to admit that our children have problems. We don't like to admit that, our, that our, you, know, you, you cannot be told that your children are bad. Look, people already know that your kids are bad. Don't you want to know what the issue is so you can change it? Don't you want to know what it is so you can fix it? Don't you want to know what it is so you can work on it? Uh, but pride can cause you to make excuses for your, your child's behavior. Look, your, your child is just as capable of being bad. Your child is just as capable of being rebellious or doing wrong as anyone else's kids. And that includes mine. I'm not, I'm not uh, please don't, don't misunderstand and saying that I'm, I'm, or think that I'm preaching this message this morning because my kids are perfect. They're far from it. And they know that. And I know that. And so I'm preaching to them and to me just as much as I'm preaching to you this morning. But you're, you, you, I hope you'll set aside your pride this morning and look at your children and yourself through the lens of the Word of God and with an honest and open heart this morning. I'm not mad. I'm not angry. And I hope I don't come across that way because I, I'm not. I'm not. Um, and I'm not preaching a reactionary message at all. This is not in response to something that somebody's kid did or anything like that. I'm just trying to give you some things this morning that will help you in your family that will help you to raise kids that will, that will grow up and live for God with their lives. So what I want to talk to you about this morning is why families fail. By that I mean, why do, why do kids grow up and not live for God? Why do they grow up and have glaring flaws? Why do they just turn away as they get older? And we're seeing that in this, in this generation more than any other. Kids are growing up, and by the time they get to 16, 17, 18 years old, they want nothing to do with church. They leave, and, and, and then parents are just left dumbfounded. Why did my kids not want to be in church? Why do my kids not want anything to do with God? Why do my kids not want uh, to live for God? I'm going to give you some things this morning that will hopefully be a help to you on why families fail. Let's pray, and then we'll look at a few of those things this morning. Father, again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for an opportunity that we have this morning to open up your word. I pray, I pray that, that you'd give me the words to say. I pray that you'd give me wisdom as, as this message is preached this morning. I pray that you'd help us to have open hearts to what you want us to change in our families so that we can see... Kids grow up in this church that will be uh, useful in your service, but more importantly, that they bring glory to God with their lives. Well, thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. I think if there's, if there's any passage that has all of what we need for our families in one place, it's Ephesians chapter 5. And certainly there's lots of other passages in the Bible that talk about our families. But number one, the, the biggest reason or one of the, one of the big reasons why families fail is because of a lack of leadership. A lack of leadership. We're given the leadership structure in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 6 for, for a reason. It's the pattern that we have to follow if the home is going to work in God's plan. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 22 says this, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, this doesn't sit well with the, the women's liberation movement today. 
you know, the husband is the leader in the home. The wife is supposed to follow in the home. Well, you can't say that anymore. The wife has just as much, you know, she needs that freedom. She needs that liberation. Not according to the word of God. And you wonder why our homes are failing. You wonder why our houses, are, our, our homes are falling apart. It's because we've, we've, we've shunned the leadership structure in the home. It's the father's responsibility to lead the homes. A lot of wives will try to take that leadership role either because the husband won't take it or because the wife is, is very strong-willed. The reason doesn't matter. The home is to be led by the husband. The home is to be led by the father. Wife, you're not going to answer to God for what happens in your home. You're going to answer to God for how you submit it to your husband's authority. Father, husbands, you are going to answer to God for what happens in your home. It is your responsibility to make sure that your home is being led in the direction that your home is supposed to go in. And, and it, has to, it, it doesn't mean that the husband's more important in the family. It doesn't mean that the wife is any less respectful, respected or any less, uh, any less important. It's just that that's the role that God designed for the husband and for the wife. The husband, the father, is supposed to lead the home and the wife is supposed to follow. And when either role is out of order, the home is never going to work and the kids are going to observe that. They're going to see that and they will never give their father the respect that he deserves as a leader of the home. You see it happen more and more. I mean, uh, you know, the commercials, we, we, don't, we, we don't watch very many commercials in our home when games are on or whatever else. But you're seeing it more and more that, you know, a commercial comes on and they just, they do everything they can to make the husband look like he's the fool, you know, and the kids have to straighten the dad out. Why is that? It's because the wife has taken that leadership role and now the husband is just this guy who provides the bread for the family and, and he doesn't know anything and he doesn't have any leadership responsibility and the, and the kids know better than the father does and everything else, Right? And, and that's the way that it's happened in so many homes. And when that, when that leadership role is out of whack, the home is never going to function the way that it should function. And, and, and wife, it's your responsibility to follow your husband as he follows the Lord, especially as he follows the Lord. And you ought to thank God if you have a husband who is trying to lead your family in the direction of holiness and, a, and in the direction of, of living for God and moving your family toward more holiness and godliness. The home structure is never going to work to raise godly children if the husband is not the leader in the home. And if the man does not stand up and take the lead, uh, and, and if the wife does not give him that lead. And by the way, that's exactly how that structure has to work. The wife has to give her husband that leadership role. Now, the husband has to stand up and be willing to, to stand in that role and take that leadership, but uh, the wife has to make a conscious effort to turn that leadership role over to her husband. Something that that has two heads is not better, it's grotesque, right? Something that has two heads is not, is not something that's progressing, it's something that has a problem with it. And yet we have homes all over the place where the husband and the wife are both trying to lead the home. It's, it does not work and it will never work that way. Now look what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church. The husband should love and cherish his wife. And when the home structure is the way that it should be, the husband being the lead, the wife following the husband's lead, the husband loving his wife the same way that he loves himself, the husband loving the wife the same way that Christ loved the church, then the husband is going to give the wife, like the Bible says, her due benevolence. And, the, and that structure will work because the wife will then want to give her husband that leadership role. She'll want to follow him in the way that he's following God. And, if you're, t and if, you're run, if you're following God's principle for how a family ought to go, 
It's the father's job to lead the children as well. Again, because God will hold him accountable for what happens in the family and in the home. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Does he say ye fathers and mothers? He doesn't say that. He says fathers because the responsibility is laid clearly on the father's shoulders for what happens in the home. Now, here's the other thing. Every one of you is not the pastor in this church, right? Now, oh, that means I'm special. That means I'm important. It doesn't mean that. It just means that God chose me to be the leader in the church. But you know what that also means? That means I have a huge responsibility on my shoulders to make sure this church goes in the right direction because one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to be responsible for what happens in this church. And, and you see that clear connection between the, the home and the church there in Ephesians chapter 5 and honestly even into chapter 6. But the same structure within the church is the same structure within a home. Someday, husband, someday, father, you're going to stand before God and you're going to answer to God for what happened in your home. Well, my wife just wouldn't follow me. My wife just wouldn't. That's, that, God's not going to accept that as an excuse. And the same thing is true for wives, right? Well, my husband just wouldn't take the leadership role, so I had to take it. That's not an excuse. Every time we see a, a, a woman taking a leadership role in the Bible, God was either doing it as a curse to the man or doing it because the man would not stand up and take that leadership role. But God always looked at it as something that was not a good thing when a, when a woman took a leadership role in the Bible. Well, what about Deborah? Yeah, you know why God put Deborah in there as the judge? Because Barak wouldn't take that responsibility, right? And we see that happening in a lot of different places. God does not use that as, an, as a curse to a man to not take that leadership role. And the same thing is true when it comes with the children. What happens in the home with the children? Now, obviously, the, the wife and the mother many times is home more often than the father is. He's got to go to work, and the mothers are home with the children. And that's just a natural, uh, a natural byproduct of the way the family works for the husband to be able to provide. But the wife has to do what the husband sets as the parameters for what happens in the home. And, and remember Adam and Eve when Adam tried to blame Eve? She took the fruit first. Oh, you know, God... She's the one that offered it to me. I wouldn't have taken it if, if, God, if Eve hadn't offered it to me. That's what Adam's excuse was, right? And, and honestly, it's kind of a legitimate excuse. I mean, he probably wouldn't have taken it had Eve not offered it to him. But who did God hold responsible for that? God held Adam responsible because he was to be the leader. Now, the wife certainly plays a huge role in that because, like I said, the husband and the father often has to be away at work. But there's no greater relief than for a father to set down the rules in the home and for the wife to follow through on her husband's leadership while he's away. And, you know, honestly, a wife that changes the rules when her husband is gone is tearing down the structure of the home. Well, that's dad's rule. We'll do it that way when dad's home, but this is the way we're going to do it when he's not here. You're tearing down the leadership structure of the home. And what you're doing is teaching and training your kids to not give your husband any respect. And at the same time, what you're also doing is tearing down your own leadership. A wife, oh, well, my husband does it this way. I don't like that. When he's gone, we're going to do it this way. When he's home, then fine, we'll do it the way that he wants to do. You know what your kids see? Your kids see, I don't need to give respect if it doesn't work out for me to give respect. I don't need to follow that structure if it doesn't work out for me to follow that structure. Any parent that tears down any authority is also tearing down their own authority at the same time. Mom, Dad, you're the parent. It's your responsibility to tell, tell your children what they will and will not do. 
it, it, they need leadership. As much as they think they know it all, and as much as they think they, they know exactly what they want to do with their life and how they're going to do it and everything else, they don't. Just the same way that you didn't know what you were going to do when you were that age. You thought you had things that you liked. There was a lot of things that I liked that I was, oh, you know, you asked me what I was going to be when I grew up. I'm going to be a pilot. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do all this. I'm not doing any of it now. You know why? Because that's not what God called me to do. But if I, had, if, 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 if I didn't have any parental leadership, if I didn't have anybody telling me, no, you're not going to do that because that's not helpful for you, I don't know where I'd be right now. You cannot leave the important choices to your children when they're teenagers. There was a family in the church where I was an assistant pastor who decided that they were going to leave it up to their kids uh, once they turned 16 on whether or not they wanted to go to church. And this was, this was a family that was there at every service. It's not like they showed up every once in a while at Easter or Christmas or whatever else. They came for every service, and when their kids turned 16, they, they gave them the decision on whether or not they were going to go to church with them or not. Guess what decision every one of those kids made? They stopped going to church. Because as soon as you, I mean, that's na- a lot of times that's naturally the way that, that kids are, right? We're, we don't have a natural bent toward spirituality. We don't have a natural bent toward the things of God. Our flesh is constantly fighting against us and pushing us away from those things. Your kids need somebody to say, no, you're coming to church. No, you don't have a choice. You're going to, to go to that activity. You're going to go do whatever it is. I mean, there's, there's any number of things. And I'm not, I don't have anything specific in my mind that I'm thinking of, but they need to be told what to do. And if they live in your home, they're still under your authority, and they still need your authority in their lives. Oh, my kid's 23 years old. Is he still living at home? Then he's still under your authority. You still, well, I know he, he likes to drink every now and then. Then he shouldn't be living in your home, or he shouldn't be drinking. Or he shouldn't be doing, you know, all these other things. If he doesn't want to have that authority over him, then move out. But when he is in your home, he is your responsibility. She is your responsibility. And they are under your authority during that time. My parents made sure we went to church. In fact, they drugged us. They drug us to church on Sunday morning. They drug us to church on Sunday night. They drug us to church on Wednesday night. We didn't have a choice. And you know what? I'm thankful for that. Because if I had been given the choice, I I probably would have taken time. Well, you know, I don't feel like going today, so I'm not going to go. Right? I, there was never a time when we woke up on a Sunday morning and said, Dad, are we going to church today? Or, Dad, do I have to go to church today? There was never a time when we said, but we just automatically knew we were going to go to church. And that's the, that's the way that it ought to be with your kids. There ought not to be a question of, of whether or not you're going to go. Uh, it's, it, the, the only way we could get out of church is, is if we were sick. And the only way we could prove that we were sick is if we threw up. And then as soon as we threw up, the dad said, now, don't you feel better? Let's go to church, right? That's the, way, that's the way it worked in our house. Well, I mean, we, we, I could count on one hand the number of times we missed church growing up. And that was only in, in the worst case scenarios. And, and honestly, uh, it, is, it's, it was so much better for me that way. The English poet Samuel Coleridge was talking to a man who didn't believe that children should be given any kind of religious instruction at all. And, uh, you know, the man claimed that, that child's mind shouldn't be prejudiced toward one religion or, or another. And, and when they become older, they should, you know, they should be allowed to choose which religion they want to follow. And so Samuel Coleridge, he didn't say anything, but after a while, he asked this visitor, hey, would you like to go and see my garden? And the guy said, oh, that'd be great. So they walked through this little doorway, and he said, what do you think? This is my garden. He said, this, this isn't a garden. This is just nothing but a bunch of weeds. And Samuel Coleridge turned to that man and he said, you know what, I, I just didn't want to infringe on the liberty of the garden in any way. I was just giving the garden a chance to express itself and to choose its own production. And you know what happened? Weeds. Because that's exactly the way that, that we are as humans. That's the way that we are as in our sinful, fallen nature, right? 
We don't have a bent toward those things. We need parents. We need parents who are going to tell children what to do, when to do it, how to do it, until they get to the point where they get it for themselves. By the way, that's a different topic for a different time, but the reason a lot of kids are given the choice and are making the choice not to go to church is because they're watching their parents do the same thing. You know, selfish children are made by selfish parents. Lazy children are made by lazy parents. Spiritually apathetic children are made by spiritually apathetic parents. They're watching you. They're following you. They want to do it the way that you do it. And by the way, what you allow in moderation, they will do in excess. What you allow in moderation, they will do in excess. You better pay attention to what you're doing and how you're living. Your kids are watching you. Families fail because of a lack of leadership, but number two, because of a lack of discipline. Here's a newsflash. Kids need discipline. Well, not my kids. They, all I have to do is look at them, and they just, they just fall in line. Now, have you noticed that in, the, that, that in the 70s and 80s when we started being taught that discipline was harmful for children and that, you know, it's going to mess up their psyche and everything else, that that, that's when this country started going downhill very quickly? Uh, they quit going to church. They turned their backs on God. I, I, I'm not going to take time to look at specific verses this morning, but the Bible is very clear that children need discipline. Children need discipline. I think the country would get back on track if a lot of the parents were spanked and then that, that passed that on to their children right? That's what we need is for the parents to be disciplined in a lot of cases. But when you allow your child to get away with something that, that goes against what you told them to do, you're teaching them how to get away with it. You may look good in the moment, but you're training them to be deceitful and to know just exactly what they have to say or just exactly what they have to do to get out of trouble. You're training them just how to stab you in the back when they get older. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. How do, how do you... How do you enforce that discipline? Well, number one, you have to demand obedience. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's a Bible command specifically to children. And there's not very many commands that are specifically given to children in the Bible. But this one is very plain. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It behooves you as a parent to demand that they obey when you tell them to do something. If you tell them to do something, you have to demand that immediate obedience. I, I'm appalled by the, lack of, by the lack of obedience by children to their parents. They told, they're told what to do, and they blatantly disobey. Their parent either pretends that, they, uh, that, that it didn't happen, or it keeps telling them again and again and again until the kid finally gets sick of hearing it, and then he goes and does it because he's now he's ready to do whatever it was that the parent told him to do. The kids have trained the parents to keep saying it until he's ready to obey. And that is not demanding obedience. You should tell them once, and if they don't obey, there should be consequences. Well, I didn't hear you. Listen better next time. You should be told once, and you should obey. Kids, I hope you're listening to that, because that's exactly the way that you're commanded to do that in the Bible. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's also why the counting method doesn't work, it doesn't, it, or, or fit in with the Bible principle. When you count to three, you know what you're teaching your children to do? You're, waiting to, you're teaching them to wait till you get to two and three quarters before they finally have to obey. That's not immediate obedience, and that's not obedience at all. That's just finally fitting in with what they decided. One, two, two and a quarter, two and a half, two and three quarters. You better do it. Okay, fine. Don't get to three. I, you know, whatever. You know, but, but, but what you're doing when you're, when you're not consistent in demanding that obedience is you're teaching them that, you know what? This might be the time when I can get away with it. 
What kid is going to do it if there's a good possibility that there's not going to be any consequence for them disobeying? Well, and you know what happens most times? And this is, this is, this is, this is a, a complete failure on, a, on the part of discipline. Most parents just let it boil and boil and boil and boil until finally they boil over and then they whip out the closest thing and they start beating their kids with it. That's not discipline. That's anger. That's child abuse, right? There's a big difference between discipline and child abuse. If they get disciplined every single time they disobey, then guess what? The times that they disobey are going to get less and less and less and less, and pretty soon you won't even have to pull anything out at all. They'll just obey. That's what demanding obedience is. If God demands obedience out of your children, then so should you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's a command given by God. And if God demands it, then isn't that something that we should demand as well? Number two, we must demand respect. Verse number two of Ephesians chapter six says, honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. The way parents allow their children to talk to them is shocking to me. Even in our church, I, I think, I mean, obviously in our church, I think it's much better than it is in the world, but you know, uh, the way that, that kids talk to their parents today is, is shocking to me. How you can allow them to talk back. I, I know better than, I knew better than to dare to ever talk to my dad in a disrespectful way. Uh, I, or I'd be visiting next week in the next moment. And I knew better than to talk to my mom in a disrespectful way, or I'd be visiting next week in the, ne in the next moment by the same hand that would have sent me there earlier if I had talked disrespectful to my dad. Fathers, you must demand respect for yourself, and you must demand it for their mother. And I'm not saying that you ought to slap them in the next week. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is there ought to be, there ought to be consequences if there is disrespect toward the mother, toward the father, Oh, my, my kid treats me just fine. So, I mean, I know he doesn't, he doesn't talk to his mother very well, but that is your responsibility, Father, to make sure that your children treat your wife and their mother with respect. You're the parent. They're the children. There has to be a distinction. They're not adults. Someday they will be. And when they're adults, you can get along with them just fine. You can go, you can be buddies and whatever else. But they need a parent they need somebody to correct them. They need somebody to point out their errors. They need somebody to tell them what to do. They need somebody to put those boundaries up there for them. should never allow them to talk back to you. They're told something to do. There should be a yes, ma'am, or a no, ma'am. And I'm not saying that the parent is always right. Sometimes you, you, you do tell them to do something and they're wrong. Well, that's not true. That's not the way it is. That's not the way it happened. Look, there's a, there's a way to disagree respectfully, right? And that's something that you need to... Teach your children how to do. Well, Dad, uh, don't you think that something, something, something? There's a way to disagree respectfully. And I'm not saying that, that, that kids, you know, should always be doing that either. But often kids will disrespect their parents by doing it in a whiny voice. You know, they, they couch it in a desire for sympathy. They've trained you to put up with their disrespect. That doesn't mean that you're always right. But there's, there, 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 is, there has to be a demand for that respect. Number three, you must demand reverence for the house of God. How they behave in church and in the sanctuary is up to you as parents. This church is, is different because it's small. And we have two wings that are connected through the auditorium. But there ought to be something sacred about the house of God. This is where we meet God. You ought not to be running through the church. You ought not to be sloppy and throwing everything all over the place. This is the house of God and it ought to be respected as the house of God. And it's up to parents to teach their children that respect. 
And, and I know this building, so it's small, it runs together, but you need to teach them that there's something special about the place that we meet with God. We talk a lot more about that, but let me move on to the last point and quickly. Families fail because of a lack of leadership. They fail because of a lack of discipline. And lastly, and I think all of it is, is kind of couched in this one thing, but families fail because of laziness. By that I mean this. So many families fail because of laziness on the part of the parents. And that laziness comes in, in two forms. Parents cannot demand obedience out of their children. They cannot demand respect. They cannot demand reverence if they're not doing it themselves. And for good reason, they don't want the, their children to see them being hypocrites. And so rather than get right with God, they just give their children that slack that they should never be given, according to the word of God. They go easy on themselves, so they have to go easy on their children. They don't obey God, and they know it, so they go easy on demanding that their children obey. They have areas that they know that are not right with God, so they have a hard time demanding it out of their children. And I, and I, guess, I, I guess I could say I, I respect the fact that you don't want to be a hypocrite in front of your children, but don't be lazy. Get right with God. Get those things right in your life that you know need to be right so that you can demand it out of your children. Do you think that your children are going to grow up and live for God if you're not living for God yourself today? Oh, I'm just praying that God does something. Do as I say, not as I do. That's the worst parenting uh, uh, hack, if you will, that you could possibly follow, right? Do as I say, not as I do. No, it should be much better. Do as I do, and then do as I say, right? And, and laziness, on the, that, that laziness, that lack of spiritual insight, that lack of relationship with God will destroy your family. Your kids see it. They're watching you. They notice it, and they're looking for exactly what they should do in their life. And what you allow in moderation, they're going to do in excess. But the second is laziness and the demand for these things from your children. You have to follow up with the things that you tell them to do. That's, that's what demanding obedience is all about. You, you can't just tell them to do it and then expect that they're going to do it. They're kids. They're going to get away with it if they can get away with it. You have to follow through with those things. And if discipline is necessary, you have to follow through with discipline. You've heard it said before, probably in a workplace, you have to inspect what you expect. If you tell your children to do something and you never follow up to see if they did it, then that's not demanding obedience. That's not, that's not making sure that they followed through with what you told them to do. Unfortunately, especially the younger your kids are, you, you can't stand around for hours conversing and let your kids run wild and expect that they're going to do what they're supposed to do. You have to follow them around. You have to know what they're doing. You can't be lazy when it comes to that. Same thing with, with telling a lie. When they tell a lie, and they will tell a lie. They're children. They're going to try to get away with it, right? There's a lot of adults that still do that. They're going to try to get out of it if they can get out of it. You have to follow up to see if they're telling the truth. And, and I think a mistake that parents make often is setting their children up to tell a lie. Let me go do this. I'm going to follow this through and whatever else, and then I'm going to set them up. I'm going to see if they're going to tell the truth or not. Now, there's ways to do that without setting them up to tell a lie. But you have to follow through and find out if they're telling you the truth or not. Kids are going to lie to you. They're going to try to get out of it. And it's up to you as a parent to not be lazy and to follow through and see if what they're telling you is the truth. Because they'll lie right through their teeth. Many times, and I've, I've, I've seen it myself, and if you don't follow up, you're training them how to lie to you and get away with it. See, because raising children that are pleasing to God requires you to be intentional. Your children are not just going to grow up and live for God because they're in church. Children are not just going to grow up and live for God because you pull out the Bible every now and then and, and, and you know, read something from that. Your children are going to live for God because you're intentional about, intentional about helping your children live for God. 
They're not just going to magically obey and tell the truth and be respectful. They have to be taught, and that's why they need parents. So I needed a father to lead them. You have to demand it. You have to follow up, and that means that sometimes you have to stop in the middle of whatever you're doing and stop in the middle of whatever you're enjoying and go take care of the issue. You have to take care of it right then and there. I read a story about a, a lady by the name of Roxy Wallace. She had a grandson who was in preschool, and he, he was visiting, and he got testy, and he started crying about every tiny little thing that, that happened. Every tiny little thing that didn't go his way, he started crying about it and whining and everything else. And one of those incidents involved animal crackers. He wanted some more, but she said, no, you don't need any more animal crackers. You, we're getting ready to eat. And so he just he burst out crying. He burst into tears. And finally she said, Sam, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with you. You cry over everything. And he finally he calmed down. And he looked at her and he said, you need to tell me, stop whining. And honestly, that's what kids want. Now, they'll never tell you that, but they want that. Because you know what? When, when there's lines and when there's rules to play by, that makes it so much more enjoyable for them. Oh, one time they, they're told to do something and they get in big trouble, and the next time they're told to do something and nothing happens. That's confusing to a kid, and that's not enjoyable because then they don't know when you're going to finally blow up and, and life's going to be miserable for them for a couple of days. And they need that discipline. They need you as a parent telling them what to do, how to do it. They need that authority in their lives. Because here's what it comes down to, and, and, and we're done. But you only have a few short years to get it right. If your kids live a normal life and your family follows a normal pattern, you have 18, 20, maybe 22 years. And then that's it. After that, all you're left with is influence. My dad doesn't come over to my house and tell me to go take out the trash. And I jump in there and go take out the trash. Now, if he told me to do it, I probably would, just out of respect, right? But right now, all my dad has is influence. Hey, I think you ought to do this. I can make the choice on whether or not I want to do it. Now, when they're in your home, they're under your authority. They do what you tell them to do. But what you're doing right now is building that influence for later. Because one day, that's all you're going to have. It's not going to be 